Today is a, a Mother's Day. You know, I was reading in my own Bible reading and came up with this text, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And I was saving it for the future. But Mother's Day came and why not, why not talk about something about mother? And interestingly, today I was, uh, you know, doing my own thing and I, I saw my children doing their Sunday school thing. And uh, I saw um, uh, Mrs. Harmon and, and Miss Julie, they were talking about Hannah, right? Hannah, children, you guys, if, if you have done your work. Hannah, and I thought, I, I paused, I went there, you guys talking about Hannah, and what a great providence of God, right? And we didn't talk, but we will be talking about Hannah today. As what I will do in preparing my sermon is, I will copy and paste this text into my word and I will look at the text. And as I was looking at the text, just looking at it, reading it, one word came to my attention and let me start from there. This is a familiar passage for all of us. But it starts like this. Now there was a certain man from Ramadhaim, Zophim, and later it will be simply called Ramah. Samuel will return to Ramah, that's his hometown. But that word, very first word in my English translation, there is it, there it is. The word is now, there was a certain man, now. That word is a conjunction. So I looked it up in Hebrew. And it is the most common conjunction that you will find in Hebrew narratives. But ESV, for example, would not translate it. But in my translation, it says now. It is a very simple one, and it could be translated as and, but, then, so, whatever, depending on the context. It's up to you how to translate it. But what's important about that particular conjunction is, you could translate it in whichever way you want, but it is what is known as Vav consecutive. Very simple one, simply meaning it connects to the previous sentence. My philosophy always is, if it is there, I want to see it in my translation. You do not have freedom to strike it out and not translate that. And I understand why some of the translations will not translate that. Because in Hebrew narrative, if you translate that, it will say something like this. All of you growing up, you have done your English homework. They ask you to write your diary every day and bring it and teacher grades it. If you write your sentence like this, I woke up, I brushed my teeth, and I ate my breakfast, and I went to school, and I did my homework, what would English teacher do? She will, or he, she, or she will strike out those, all of these ends because there's just too many. It's like that in Hebrew text too. That conjunction is just everywhere. Almost every sentence starts and begins with it. But important thing that I paused and got me thinking was that now. It's a great, great way to translate that simple word because it connects to the previous stories. And as I said, I wasn't looking for Mother's Day message. If I start doing that, 
Father's Day, I have to prepare Father's Day message. Is there a grandparents' day? I don't know. Siblings' day? I can't do that. But as I was reading it, what precedes 1 Samuel? Do you know? Story about Ruth. But Ruth and 1 Samuel, they are both, they both are situated in what context? In the book of Judges. It is the period of the Judges. So as I was thinking about that now, instead of thinking about birth of Samuel and Hannah, that little word connected me, this, this story, back to the book of Judges. If a reporter was telling this story, he or she would say something like this, reviewing what had happened before this story. They would say, the Israelites were continuing their spiritual rebellion against Yahweh for over 300 years. But there is no end in sight for their spiritual apostasy. That's what they were saying. See, I want you to see that. This is not simply about Hannah or prayer of Hannah. As you know, Book of Judges, it is a... uh, story about their settling down in this land after the death of Joshua. And as you know, Book of Judges is a a downward spiral story. Actually, it is a bungee jump. They don't go like this. They just straight go down like this. It starts with these words, very promising. Judges 1, verse 1 and 2. Now it came about the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord. Encouraging. Joshua died, but the sons of Israel, they go to God and pray to God as they are seeking God's will. They asked, Who shall go up first for us against Canaanites to fight against them? And Yahweh said, Judah shall go up. What an encouraging sin. The last verse of the book of Judges says this, 21-25 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You know that story. And the last three chapters of the book of Judges, I don't even know. If I am preaching through the book of Judges, I don't know how, how I'm going to preach it. The last three chapters of the book of Judges in front of the children. You know what's contained in them. Horrible, horrible sin. And book of Judges basically ends with tribes having civil war and they annihilate the tribe of Benjamin. They kill them all. Few hundred people, they survive. But it was about civil war. Entire tribes of Israel, they rise against one tribe because they have sinned. And they basically go to war, kill them all except few. That's how it ends. In the span of 300 years. That's, that's the situation. It's spiritual darkness. is a spiritual dark age for Israel. And then you hear in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 1. Now there was a certain man in Ramathim Zophim. So that little word now connects to the book of Judges. And going farther back. What? It connects to God's covenant faithfulness. 
the Israel had just hit the rock bottom in their history. But this little now tells us God's sovereign providence, God's wisdom, compassion, covenant faithfulness, and His love that He is still at work is the point. It was as dark as that civil war and all the sins. You go back and read the last three chapters of the book of Judges and you'll be surprised. It's written in the Bible. God's word. It's a horrific sin that you wouldn't even recount them to your children. But it's written in them. But now, In this now, God is going to bring times of refreshing. And in this chapter, now tells us, even in that dark age, spiritual dark age, God is preparing, God is providing a man for his redemptive purposes. So, going in, I want us to know, this story, even though we are going to talk about Hannah and his prayer, her prayer, It really is less about Hannah's faith, less about Hannah's prayer, or pray like Hannah, even though those would be the the points. It's not either or. But ultimately, this this chapter is about God revealing His grace and love through Hannah and achieving His purpose, building His kingdom on earth all for the glory of His name is the point. Let us not lose sight of that. Jonathan Edwards, he says it in his sermon, the end for which God created the world. What is the end for which God created the world? He says, Scripture is clear everywhere as though God made himself as his end in all his works. He does all things for that end and the end is Himself and His glory. That's right. He makes His glory His end. So here too, I want you to know, 1 Samuel chapter 1 is about glory of God. You know what the glory, the word is in Hebrew word? Very easy word. It's kabod. And later on, one of the sons of Eli dies and, and, and his wife names him Ikabod, the glory of Israel left. Kabod means basically heavy, stout. And Eli, prophet or priest, was kabod. He was a big man. But kabod, it's about glory of God. That's where we begin. And it is an encouraging start for all of us. 2020, virus, remember all that news. Burning, storming the capital, all the crazy news that we have heart and soul, and some of you are on the front lines looking at all of that. But if God says now, isn't that a great way? Now tells us God is alive, God is at work, God is at work building His church for His glory. Now, let's look at Hannah's life. We know Hannah's life was stuck. Briefly talk about Elkanah. We normally do not talk about her husband Elkanah. But when you think about it, Elkanah is Samuel's father. Elkanah, let's profile him. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but once again. In verse 1, he's son of somebody, son of somebody. 
meaning he has traceable genealogy. He is a man of standing. So it is very important for him to have his seed, continue his name and his last name and his seed. And verse 3 said, This man would go up to Shiloh each year to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. If you, if I had picked up 1 Samuel just to talk about Anna, to give some kind of Mother's Day message, then I would have missed it. But I was reading it from the book of Judges and Ruth and so on. And when you come to verse 3, now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to Yahweh Zabaoth in Shiloh. It should strike you. Elkanah is a remnant. In the time of Judges, and everybody's doing their own thing, worshiping Baals and Ashtaroth, all the Canaanite uh, idols they are worshiping. But here he is in, in Ramadim Sofim, an a unknown man. Why would God choose him? We don't know. It's God's providence. But we know he is a godly man. Just like Joseph, like Mary, the mother of Jesus. God chooses someone in his sovereign choice. But God will not choose someone who is not a believer who has no idea, no desire to serve God. No, that is not the case. As I look at this verse, Elkanah is a unique case in the time of Judges. Furthermore, he has two wives. What does that tell you? He's a rich man. He is able to afford, support two wives. And, and, and Panina, name, the meaning of Panina is ruby. Hannah, grace. So, uh, Hannah is mentioned first, but to Hannah, uh, Hannah was mentioned first, so probably she was the first wife. Uh, she didn't have children, so Elkanah brought in another wife. So he is a wealthy man. And he will go yearly with his entire family. What does that take? It takes money. You journey up from here to Shiloh, taking your family. So he's not a day laborer. He's not a poor man. He's taking entire family and he's, he's sacrificing. He's buying the, the animal, sacrificing, giving double portions to, to Hannah. Put that together. You have someone who is pros, prosperous man, wealthy man, yet godly man. And also he is a gentle, compassionate, and tender-hearted man. Verse 5, it says, To Hannah he would give a double portion. Why? For he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed the womb. He could have said, You are no use to me anymore. But he is a gracious man. And here it is, Father's Day message. <laughs> Whenever it is next month, love your wives. Right? But Hannah was loved by him but childless, and, and what does uh, Penina, Penina, Penina do to her? Her rival provoke, the word means to thunder, to provoke her bitterly to what? Says it in the Bible, to irritate her. It's not like Hannah is going to inherit certain portion of inheritance, so they are feuding over the wealth of a man. But Penina is a, such a wicked woman. All she's doing, making her Hannah's life 
leaving hell just to what? Just for fun, just to irritate her. Mean-spirited woman. But in hindsight, listen to this. I don't like Penina. I'm sure you don't like her either. But when you think about it, Penina is the one who makes Hannah to go to God in prayer. It's a strange providence. If Penina was a nice second wife, she could have lived her life, Hannah could live, could live her life fine. Childless, but fine. Nobody's bothering her. Loved by her husband, Elkanah, she, she's fine. But by some strange providence, the second wife is a mean woman. Then none of you would like to spend a minute with this woman. To see her every day in the household, that's something. You know, you see, I lived my high school time in the dormitory. You could commute your high school from home. To live with a bunch of other people in high school years every day, to me, it was, it was a difficult thing. To see your arch enemy every day, breakfast time, lunch time, who's cooking? Who's serving? This is not an easy life, but because of Panina, Hannah will go to prayer. But anyhow, she is stuck in this situation. But they go to Shiloh, they pray, she prays. Verse 10, she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. And I was thinking, that's, that's why I said in the title, heaven is always open. Once again, you, you expect Hannah to pray. I expect Hannah to pray. Because that's what you expect Samuel's mother to do. But again, you connect this story in the backdrop. This is time of judges. Who is the judge at this time? Eli. He judged for 40 years. And Samuel will be the last judge. So the time is dark. It's a dark age. But what does verse 10 say? She prayed to Yahweh. It's something that is a profound thing here. This family is godly family. This is a remnant family that God preserved. In the time of darkness, there were families worshiping Yahweh, faithfully going to Shiloh to worship God. And here she is. She's stuck. What could Elkanah do for her? He loves her, but he cannot do anything about the situation. What would Penina do? Nobody. She has nobody to talk to. Nobody to have counsel. She has no, nothing going on in her life but heaven. So she goes to Shiloh and she prays. And I want you to know, whenever you feel like that you are stuck somewhere, nowhere to turn to, and there will come a time in your life, something like that. No way out. No escape. Your friends... Your parents, nobody will be around. You cannot really find any help from any man. Then it is time for you to look up and pray to your God. And she prayed to the Lord. A striking thing at the time of judges. She made a vow and she is answered. So let's go to that section. Her response tells us she is a dignified woman. She is gracious in response to Eli, who just accused her for being drunk. Most women will lash out at him. I'm broken inside, and all you're telling me as a priest of God, 
You're telling me, accusing me falsely to be drunk? Wouldn't you be angry? But she's a gracious woman. And, 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 and her face was no longer sad. She was a resolved woman. Good news happens, right? Happy ending. Verse 19. They arose early in the morning, worshipped before the Lord, and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. Obviously, God is not forgetting things. But when you go back and read verse 11, her prayer, what did she pray? She prayed like this. Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon my afflictions and remember me, and not forget your maid servant. And graciously, verse 19 says, the Lord remembered her as she prayed to God. God remember me. And God remembered her. And here is something that I, I have read in my own reading and I underlined it and is this. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel. Saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. And I want us to pay attention to that. That is my ending statement. We're going to spend a few minutes here. Up until now, I thought the name Samuel meant that it refers to Shema as hear, O Israel. So hard by God. I thought that's what Samuel meant. That's what I was told. But when, you, when I was looking up the word Samuel, the Hebrew root word was not Shema, that hearing or heard by God, but Sael. And I thought, am I mistaken? So I looked up some of the uh, commentaries, and the majority said that. Some would say, the, you know, the root word of Samuel has to do with being hard, Shema. But it is more likely that it is not Shema, but Sael, and that word meaning basically his name is God or name of God. The definition of Samuel is name of God. But it really doesn't matter. But listen to what Hannah says. She named him Samuel, whether Shema or Sael does not matter. But why? It, he, he, it says it here. The reason why she named him Samuel is this. Listen to this. Because I have asked him of the Lord. This made me stop in my Bible reading. Why? I thought that's a bold statement. She does not say, I named him Samuel. She named him Samuel because I was hard by God, or God answered my prayer. But what does she say? I named him Samuel because I, I have asked him from the Lord. Him. So I said, when did she ask? So you go back and read in verse 11 her prayer. She says, don't forget, don't forget. And she says this, if you will give your maid servant a son. So for, when she names him Samuel, she's saying, for because I have asked him 
from the Lord. And in our prayer, you know, if you are in a Hannah situation, what would you say? What would you pray? I'll probably pray to God, God, son or daughter, what, anything, anyone, just give me one. Penina is making my life miserable. I just want a, a, a child. But she asked a son, literally seed of man, and later on, she names him. And isn't that interesting? Who would normally name a son? Father would. Grandfather would. But a wife? And she names him Samuel because, and it is boldly said, because I asked him, a seed of man, from Yahweh. And I underlined it. And I wrote in my own Bible, said, it's not a profound thing, but according to Hannah's own testimony, Samuel was the direct result of her prayer. For a minute, I respectfully ask this. Forget about God's providence. Normally, you know how we think when we read something like this, even if it was not Hannah, God would have given Samuel to any woman. She was not the only barren woman at the time. So, no matter what, God's will be done. So we think, Hannah's prayer is okay. I mean, it's good. But at the end of the day, it is God. God's going to send Samuel or like Samuel, somebody, somebody, someone, some boy, a boy, to somebody who wants him. But if you could, for a minute, just not think about God's sovereignty in that life. Because often we cancel out human responsibility with God's sovereign grace. But for a minute, if you could pay attention to what Hannah's saying, her testimony, what the Bible wants us to learn from her faith is that if Hannah didn't pray for him a seed of men, no sin. Emphasis here from the Bible, approved by God and Holy Spirit, written by somebody, Samuel probably, but emphasis that God wants us to know is that Samuel has to do with the direct result of Hannah praying. Of course, it is God's providence unfolding in human history. But how does God work in human history? God uses men and women like you to achieve His purposes. That's consistent revelation from God's Word. God does not shoot lasers from heaven. God does not send angels to do His things. From time to time, yes. But God's redemptive history is unfolded by men and women like Hannah, who will go to God in faith, and God using those means, human agents and instruments, to achieve and accomplish His divine sovereignty, and there is no conflict. Right, that is the message to all of you. Mothers, future mothers, 
young mothers, even uh, without children. This is the covenant community, which means our children are your children. And there's a shared responsibility as covenant community in raising children. But if you did not grow up in a Christian family, it is your God-given responsibility as a mom to pray for your child. It's an obvious statement, but it may not be for someone who did not grow up in a Christian family. At this point, at that time, for Hannah, asking for a seed of man, a man, a boy, was an impossible thing. He did not exist, but by faith she prayed. That's how Hannah brought down heaven to earth. And in her prayer, God's will and human redemptive history intersected because of her prayer. Right, be a woman of prayer today is my message. A great reminder, but I want you to think about what the prayer is first. All of us, we know we should pray. But often we don't because we have lost confidence in prayer. Somewhere in our Christian life, we concluded that prayer is hit or miss. It may work, it may not work. So it really is not efficient cause to do anything. But let us go to God's word again today. And let us emulate Hannah's faith. She didn't have anything. Nothing was really going for her. Uh, What confidence does she have that this God will answer her? Nothing. But yet, God graciously answered her prayer. So, whatever that it is you are praying for, if you could substitute Him, which is an impossibility in your life, something that hasn't been working for a long time, keep on praying is the message today. Pray in prayer, persevere in it, and it is a message for all of us, men, women, boys and girls, whoever. And that hymn, Samuel, was the end of spiritual dark age. Why would God do this to Hannah? Why not make it easy? Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus? She was a teenage woman, and angel shows up and says, You will be pregnant. She didn't ask for it. But sometimes God works that way. But sometimes God works like this situation, Hannah. For a long time, she prays in Shiloh and she is answered by God. But I am sure she's been praying all along. And this prayer that is written down is the culmination, the apex, the genith of a prayer life. Why would God do that? I've been thinking. My answer would be to train Hannah to be a woman or mother of prayer. Why? Because Samuel would need a lifelong prayer support. Samuel is the God's answer to the dark age of Israelites for the past 300 years. And he's going to put an end. How? Because God's word is going to come to him. He's going to reveal God's word. He will speak through Samuel. And when there's a word of God, there's a light. 
So in order for that to happen, God has to make Hannah a prayer warrior. He needs a spiritual support. Mothers, that is your job. It's not simply provide for your children, but to pave the way or highway for your children. So that your children, if God has given you one, he or she might be used by God like Samuel to, to bring an end to this spiritual darkness. Whatever the job may be, that should be your prayer. Also, I was thinking, what's the point of asking for a boy only to give him away? Why? Why? To prove a point to Penina saying, God has given me a son, so be quiet. Is that why? Why? If you are going to get a son, a boy, as a miracle, why give it away? Why give it back to God? God will understand if you keep him. Why? Why make a vow like that? Is that a mistake? Oh, why? Who gave you the permission to give him away? Right? Would Samuel agree? And I, it took a couple of days to think about this. That's kind of a waste, I was thinking, you know. You, you get an answer and you just give him as a boy to the temple. And I was reminded of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Bible says some four John the Baptist this in Luke 1.80. And the child, this John the Baptist, the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. He lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance, appearance to Israel. My guess, my answer, why a vow like that and why give it back to God since a young age? Because that's the only way that God is able to prepare a man apart from all human love. Imagine if Samuel stayed at Ramah. He's the first son of the first wife. She will inherit, he will inherit a lot. Chances are that he will become a spoiled boy. Everybody will love him. But he's taken away from home, sent away, to the temple, this mobile temporary temple in Shiloh, as like an altar boy. And the Bible says in 124 in verse 24, he was a youth but a youth. When Hebrew word is repeated twice, that means he's really something. It's an emphasis. He's a youth but a youth, twice. Same word twice, that means he was really young. Weaned, probably somewhere between three-year-old to five-year-old. Really young boy, give him back. But think about that. If he stayed at home, he would have been influenced by human love and all kinds of immoral activities in and around the town. The temples of Ashtarod, Baal, and he would go with his friends to different places. But God wants him to grow up in the temple of God. It also tells me, God, even though Eli was corrupt, he was a good man, but it was corrupt and two sons really bad, remember. God brings Samuel into that corrupt house of God, which means God did not intend a revolution from outside, set up a competing temple. But as corrupt as it was, it was in God's providence that God would use Samuel growing up in that household. We'll see all the corrupt activities of two sons of Eli, 
But he will learn from Eli all the things concerning God since young age. That's why by the Spirit of God, probably Hannah made a vow that she would give him back when he was young. Then Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel knew that he was a prophet of Yahweh. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. That's right. The last verse, if you will look at last verse. Verse 28. He's being dropped off at Shiloh. I don't know if you have any uh, kind of uh, experience, something like that, something like this. I was older, I was, you know, 17, but I was dropped off at a total strange place, Bryan, Texas, at a school and dorm. I remember my mom left in a van with my uncle going back. And later on, my mom said, you know, she was crying in the van. Think about it, I was older than this boy. But from Seoul to Bryan, Texas, and, and I was left alone with dorm, but... I remember each time when I would go back to Houston and coming back, that two-hour journey, each time, you know, Labor Day weekend, you go to Houston and come back, Highway 6 in Houston, 290 Highway 6, I still remember. You know, you are crushed, and for two hours, I just don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to Brian. It was just a sad, sad situation. But anyway, he goes up to Shiloh, and he's dropped off, and there is that one-liner for Samuel. What does it say? And he worshipped the Lord there. Literally, he bowed down before Yahweh. That's the training. He's a young boy. He probably couldn't write. He couldn't read anything. He could take care of himself. Let's say five-year-old boy. Can you imagine dropping him off at somewhere? And you will not see him once a year. That's the only time you will see him. Can you do that? But anyway, she did it. And like I said, probably to preserve him. And his training, only thing that he needs to know is how to bow down before Yahweh. Not Ashtaroth, not Baals, nothing else. But Yahweh, as corrupt as that church was at the time, he will bow down before, not figuratively, but literally. That's the training that he will do. I will end with this. It's not just Samuel. But it occurred to me. What would God use? Whom will God use in this 2021, you know, in church, churches? Who would God use in his providence for his glory? If you are God, whom will you choose? Wouldn't you choose someone whose life is wholly dedicated to God? No matter the intellectual ability, no matter the wealth, no matter the natural ability, wouldn't you, if you are God, use someone? No matter your last name, wouldn't you pick someone whose heart is completely given to the Lord? Unaffected and unmolested by the world's affairs? That's what I would choose. We need to learn, all of us, this is Mother's Day, 
We need to learn to seek Him, whatever it is, from the Lord by faith. We also need to learn how to give that back to God so that God could use that. And we also all learn, need to learn how to follow up with a lifelong prayer for our children and beyond because they were needed in this day and age. They were need more than anything. What can you give to your children? Many things. We have, you know, young families traveling from far away. It's not an easy thing. My children are now a bit older. But I remember too, when I was going around, uh, you know, at the time when I was ministering, just searching for churches, looking for churches, you would go around many churches to Manhattan, to Astoria, elsewhere, visiting this church and that church. And you go and you have a young toddler. You can't even go into worship. You know, you're bothering other people. And, 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 and you stay outside. And if they have that video, audio thing, it'll be great. If not, you travel two hours on and a half to some church. And you're sitting outside. And I remember the frustration. And you would think, what a waste. But if you are doing that, I will just encourage you to do that. And I know you are doing that precisely because you want to teach your children what it means to worship God at a young age. May God honor that. May God encourage you. May God say to you, you are not wasting your time. You may travel. You may not sit in the worship. But by that traveling, you will be praying for your children. Why don't you pray for other children? May not be your children. Why don't you ask other people that you see, how are you? That's what it means to be a covenant community. Like I always say, if we want to emphasize our theology and tradition, let us try to live up to it. That's how we raise a covenant family, covenant children together, encouraging one another. And may God bless you. And as Eli said, Eli is a, not a corrupt man, he's a weak man. But God honored Eli's blessing upon Hannah. I may be a weak man, but may God honor you, your heart's desires, as you resolve yourself to pray like Hannah in faith, consistently, in faith, without seeing, may God grant your wishes for God's glory, which is the end for which God created all of us. What is the end? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Today, when you go home, enjoy your life with the families that God has given you. And let us... Let us glorify God and enjoy Him together. Let's pray.